1: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au
2: T's and C's apply in South Wales. Authorisation number TP slash 01005. On
1: 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Hello, my name is Tim Macmillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, My guest in this episode uh, is a professor at Murdoch University. She's uh, been recognised for her tireless work in helping Aboriginal families become healthier and more resilient uh, over the course of her career, which spans several decades uh, in nursing Uh, midwifery and in academia. She's been awarded uh, a member of the Order of Australia uh, that is in recognition to her significant service uh, to those various fields that I just mentioned. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Professor Rhonda Marriott AM.
3: (laughs) Thank you very much Jim and thank you for inviting me.
2: Oh it's a pleasure. I can see already that you're one of those very humble people that's probably wondering um, how we're going to get through talking for some length all about you.
3: I must admit that crossed my mind.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go right back to the, the very beginning. Okay. Um, born in Derby. Yep. What do you remember of those early years in Derby?
3: Not a lot really, Tim. Um, Mum and Dad made a decision when I was quite small to to move to Perth. Mm-hmm. So I've really grown up on Wadjuk Budja. Um, but I do remember going back to Derby several times um, with mum and other times with my aunt, mm-hmm. um, mum's next sister. Um, and the thing that I remember most is the mango trees. Beautiful. Big mango trees and the white cockatoos, mm. the sulphur-crested white cockatoos and my grandfather. Right. Um, yeah. Okay.
2: So do you still feel a strong connection? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It? Yeah. And
3: it's incredible, you know, when, um, when I've gone there, um, you know, in later years of life and... And in the last ten years, and flying into the country, and flying over that red dirt and mm. all of that green, and you, just something grabs you, and mm. you just know you're home. Yeah, you're home and country
2: again. Yeah, uh, tell me about your your family tree. Um, just to give us a little insight into mum's side, dad's side, and how yes. it all came together.
3: Yeah. So, my mum met my father. Um, yeah. Here at um on on Budjara just after, um, just during the war, actually, and just after, um, so there was a um, there was a dance organised, a Nungar dance, um, and a Noongar club, social club, because coloured people weren't allowed to be out after dark. So they they set up a um, a social club, and my mum met my father there. Mm which was fabulous, and they went out and history mm. happened and, and then they got married and yeah. and, um, and I came along later.
2: Yeah, yeah. So
3: um, my mum um, was relocated here to Perth um, at her, her dad's request yeah. um, along with a couple of brothers and sisters because, um, as, you, as you might remember, um, you know, the, there was bombing of Broome and there was bombing of Derby, Oh, as well right. so
2: so that prompted the move yeah, yeah. so there, there was a risk yeah. for
3: families and and um, families wanted their kids yeah. safe yeah so they put them on a shi- on a ship mm. and um, and they came down to Perth
2: yeah right mm. so it was it was literally the war that brought them to Perth and kind of ended up yeah. pushing them together yes wow yeah. um, so
3: my dad was born here in in Perth yep um and his mum um, his mum was Scottish. She came from the Outer Hebrides, Yeah. and um, her father relocated to the Peel Estate. So he was one of the um, immigrants that um, took up a lot yeah. um, on the Peel Estate um, just after the First World War. Mm. And she met my grandfather, who had been born in Ireland, mm-hmm. and his parents um, immigrated to Perth, and. Um, they met at a dance as well. <laughs> History repeating itself. I think itself. people are
2: still beating at dances too, so they, they, yeah. the tradition continues. Well, we didn't have. <laughs>
3: there weren't many other social occasions. No. Were there? Yeah. Um, so they met and and married a Protestant Scot and a Catholic Irishman.
2: Wow. Mm. How did that go? <laughs> I mean, you know, those uh, those passions run deep in those parts of the world, don't they? And yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah
3: certainly for my for my grandmother who was a, a staunch protestant yeah um, woman um, but my grandfather was a very gentle um, catholic lapsed catholic
2: irishman right. he had to give up his catholicism well, to make it work well i don't think he really <laughs> didn't buy into hung it, that in a hard in f- to it in the big yeah. place. <laughs> yeah um, i mean was that sort of controversial at the time
3: oh it was very hard and and i think you know for my grandmother it probably Created a lot of challenges. They both came from very, very large families, yeah. and um, yeah, and I can remember some fiery conversations mm. <laughs> when I was a child.
2: Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, do you do you feel a connection to those parts of the world as well? I mean, the, you know, the Hebrides and Scotland, for instance, that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty wild place.
3: Yes, yeah. and I've I've never actually been there, but I would love to go there. Yeah. Um, but I did go to where my grandfather came from in, um, in, to, in County Cork, mm. so Limerick and. County yeah. Cork,
2: yeah, and on your mum's side, um, yes. it, it, her ancestry is in the sort of the Derby General region. Yes, yeah.
3: Yes. So, um, my grandmother was born on um, Lower Liveringa Station, um, and she met my grandfather. Um, they fell in love, young people. She had already um, an established family. He was a younger man. Um, He was very taken with her Mm. Um, and then my my mother was born um, and his – so my grandfather is Chinese, was Chinese, um, and his father had a lot to say about that. So Mm. he wasn't to be associating with an Aboriginal woman who was already married and divorced Mm. and had children Um, and I think that caused a lot of conflict, so – they didn't actually get together. Oh wow! Which was a tragedy, yeah. um, in many ways. But then a blessing for all the brothers and sisters that came along later, yeah, to which we're all very, very close.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and obviously relocating to Perth kind of you know ripped up some of those ties, didn't it? To country yeah, up there, and yeah. um, that was just a necessity of the time. Yeah, and I um, think it was a was very... it a new start coming coming to Perth for the family.
3: Um, for my mum and dad, probably. But I think for mum, um, you know, as we found out later in life and she talked about it, it was really to try and give us an opportunity mm. um, to get an education and to have choices,
0: mm. um,
3: which she didn't have. So mum, mum didn't go on to do the things that she wanted to do. She always wanted to be a teacher. Right. And, um, and so because she had to leave school, when she was in her early teens, she never had that opportunity for that aspiration.
0: Yeah.
3: And it wasn't until later in life that she went on and did nursing that she was able to achieve that aspiration mm. of doing something with her life yeah. and gaining an education. Mum's an amazing woman, Tim. You know, she, um, she went to university and got her degree um, and was, you know, the oldest in her cohort and, mm. um, and she got that in her 80s.
2: In her 80s? Yep. Wow. Yep. Which is even more extraordinary at the time woman. that she would have mm. gone through university. Mm.
1: Wow.
3: Mm. Yep. But she was determined and she wanted to yeah. have a degree. It was something that she'd always wanted to do. Um, and so she was able to achieve that. And she was able to see us, you know, her kids, So mm. all three of us have a degree. Mm. Um, to see us achieve that. Mm. Um, but it was just so wonderful to be able to go to her graduation. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, very special. That must have been. I mean, you always sort of notice the mature age students in your class, don't you? <laughs> that <They laughs> must do. have seen your you mum do. there and gone. <laughs>
3: and my mum's, wow. you know, barely makes five foot two, <laughs> in the old language. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and she's the tiniest woman. You know, she's she's about forty eight kilos. Yeah. Um, and, but very, very bright and and very engaged and very engaging. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, when they first came to, to Perth to, you know, settle here, was was that difficult? obviously, you know, the, the war was going on, which presents its own challenges, but, um, transitioning to a new life here in Perth, Mm. was that an easy move?
3: So this was post-war when they decided to move, you know, mum and dad actually moved back to Derby. Um, and I was born in Derby. Mm. Um, and then came down. So that was sort of post-war. Yes, I think it was very difficult. You know, you can imagine Perth in the 1950s um, with the racism that existed then and still exists, um, just in a different way now. Mm. Um, But Perth in the 1950s, I think, was a very challenging place. Mum had a lot of friends that she had um, made when she first came to Perth. There were a lot of people who were also starting to relocate to Perth yep. from Derby, you know, who mum had gone to school with or had been friends with. So she had she had a very close um, group of people around her. Yeah. Um, and then family started to come down as well. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it must have been very hard for her mm. in those early days.
2: Yeah. But obviously she instilled some pretty strong uh, values in you mm-hmm. uh, and your siblings. Yep. And, um, yep. yeah, Curious to know where that sort of drive for you to go into those sorts of fields that your mum wanted to mm. go into, mm. if that was, you know, some sort of tribute to her and in a way. Yeah, be-
3: my, I've got a family full of nurses yep. and teachers as well. And um, I don't know that I really thought about it very much. It was just, that's like what I was going fit. to do. Mm. Um, and and something where I could be helping people. Yep. So the helping professions was really important yep. to me and it's certainly something that um, mum has always done.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll talk more about that right after we take a break uh, Rhonda. R- Professor Rhonda Merritt is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. We'll be back with more in a moment.
1: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Professor Rhonda Marriott is our special guest. Uh, Rhonda, you've spent a lot of your professional life uh, as a nurse. Mm. Um, They've been very much in the spotlight in the last few months as, you know, getting hero status Mm. for the incredible work that they do. Um, It's obviously... Well deserved, uh, I think. But um, is it? It's taken something pretty extraordinary, hasn't it, for, for nurses to be recognised uh, in this way? How does how does it sit with you, being afforded that sort of status?
3: Look, I think it's really important to recognise nurses and midwives. Yeah. Um, and I think for you know we we're such an integral part of our society mm. and an integral part of our health services that in many ways we're the quietly unsung heroes. Absolutely. And, you know, you never want to be in the spotlight for the wrong reasons. No. Um, and, you know, a pandemic um, is an awful reason for for um, our society and the public to go, wow, nurses, you know, they're our heroes. Um, but I think, you know, if that recognition um, affords the profession um, – its place in society then i think that's fine
2: yeah absolutely um what was life like as a as a young nurse then obviously you know technology and treatments have come a long way over the years um you know particularly when you start to go into remote communities um i mean what sort of things did you have at your disposal give us a, a snapshot of what life was like as a young nurse
3: Oh, wow. Um, Tim, I started my life um, as a nurse at, at Heathcote Hospital, mm-hmm. which is on that beautiful point over in Applecross. Mm. And we had to actually live in the nurse's quarters in those days um, and gain permission to... It sounds like a
2: nunnery. <laughs>
3: yeah, in many ways it was. But um, the the matron of the hospital, because we were all under the age of 21 in those days, yeah, um, they were our guardians at Locus in Parentis. Yeah. Um, and so they were responsible for us. And, um, and so they were very strict in the way in which they cared for us mm. <laughs> and made sure that um, we were well managed.
2: Mm. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Didn't get up to anything that we shouldn't.
2: No. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, in that role, essentially you're still mm. helping people.
3: Yeah, and, and the role as, as a nurse was very different to the role as nurses yeah. now. You know, yeah. in order to become an, a nurse now, you go to university and mm. you undertake a, a three-year degree program, you know, and we did what was really like an apprenticeship Yeah. Um, process and um and very much, you know, had a very different role to, to doctors and very different recognition as well and very different responsibilities. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we have gained hugely in the profession yeah. um, and our knowledge has gained as well.
2: Yeah. Um, when did you start sort of directing your efforts towards improving health outcomes in Aboriginal communities?
3: Mm. Once I went into um, general nursing, um, so that was in the 1980s, um, and then on to doing midwifery, then I started to look at... Uh, Aboriginal health and and the issues around Aboriginal health and, and the huge disparities that yeah. Aboriginal people have in relation to health outcomes, mm. which, you know, in over the last 20 years, 30 years, we have seen some gains, but we've still got a long way to go.
2: If I'd said to you, you know, 20, 30 years ago that we'd be where we are in 2020, mm. would you have thought that that was acceptable progress?
3: Um... I think we have made huge amount of progress around um, the sort of services now that we have for Aboriginal people, um, which are largely through the Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Services, which we've seen come into being in that time as well. Um, so that, that in a way, I think, has allowed Aboriginal people to be well cared for mm. by other Aboriginal people. Because if you go into a hospital setting, you still don't see many Aboriginal faces. No. And, you know, and that can be a very confronting thing when you've been brought up experiencing racism most of your life and, um, and feeling that you have to ask whether this is your right or
2: not. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you still get to, to travel to, you know, different parts of, of WA and to see what life is like? in those communities?
3: Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, like COVID-19 has sort of mm. um, created other challenges. Challenges towards, on that front, yeah. Um, and and at the moment I tend not to travel as much and probably haven't done for the last couple of years now. But, you know, we go to places. Um, I was in Kununurra a couple of years ago uh, looking at, you know, some placement for student nurses through our nursing and midwifery office and... Um, You know, we still have some really third world conditions Mm. that Aboriginal people experience. And, you know, we're seeing many childhood diseases that we shouldn't be seeing Mm. anymore. So rheumatic heart disease, you know, which is a huge problem in the Aboriginal community. We're seeing deafness. We're seeing, you know, ear, nose and throat um, infections, repeated infections to the point where kids are going to school deaf. Wow. Um, And then that presents learning difficulties Mm. and, you know, people casting aspersions as to, you know, do you have a learning difficulty? Well, no, it's a hearing issue, Yeah, you know, through repeated infections. Mm.
2: Mm. Uh, Again, what's the solution? I I, I, don't know how many times I've asked that question and others have asked the question, but um, how do you even begin to tackle a a disparity like that?
3: You know, I think it takes a... um, a concerted effort by a lot of people yeah. to be able to bring about change. But, you know, one thing that COVID-19 has shown me is that we suddenly have a pandemic, mm. we're all in the same boat, and all of a sudden we're in there together Yeah, and we're doing this together. And it's amazing what's happened. You know, Aboriginal people have not been as affected by COVID-19 as their non-Aboriginal counterparts, and we were all fearful Particularly of people in the remote communities
0: yeah.
3: um, of them getting it, but because the Aboriginal Community Controlled Services have been so good in the way in which they've provided the messages and supported Aboriginal people, then Aboriginal people have not got it. Yeah, you know, it, we've the lowest numbers we've ever expected—64 people across Australia.
2: Yeah, that was That's that incredible. was such a. a a great fear, wasn't it, mm, when mm. it first sort of hit you know, here yeah. in Australia, getting into the communities there and it just being unstoppable. Absolutely. And what you're saying, the secret to that relative success there is that the, is that the local people have been able to control mm. so the messaging some, in their communities. Absolutely. So right. some
3: self-determination, some mm. autonomy, taking control. Empowerment. And empowerment. Um, but it's also been that, you know, we've all had to pull together, everyone. Mm. has had to pull together. So I think if we can be galvanised by something like that, we should be galvanised in mm. the same way around a whole lot of illnesses that just shouldn't be happening.
2: Mm. Mm. Um, again, it seems like a, a message that's been put out there by people, you know, who have the sorts of experiences and knowledges that that you do mm. um, and yet there seems to be sort of a disconnect, doesn't there, between um, people on the ground who have these experiences and the people who devise policy and implement policy. Um, What do you think of politicians?
3: Um, I actually think that they're in many ways misaligned. Mm. Um, You know, I've, I've had a number of conversations with our Minister for Health, Roger Cook, and have a great deal of respect for him and what he's trying to do. But I think sometimes, you know, by the time a politician brings in a policy... And then, you know, the the executive staff are engaged and believe that something should happen. By the time it filters down, it's very hard to actually bring about change mm. sometimes at the grassroots levels. Mm. And we need to change the hearts and minds of everyone. And that takes time. Yeah. I get frustrated about it sometimes. I bet you do. So I want it to happen now. Yeah. Um, And I do see, you know, change is happening. Yeah.
2: But, yeah. The wheel turns very slowly. As a society, we're
3: very slow.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we certainly are. But, yeah, you must get so frustrated just repeating yourself over Mm. and over.
3: The one good thing about the work that I do, though, Tim, is that I work with uh, a lot of very like-minded people. Yeah. And so if you were doing this on your own mm. and feeling that you were butting your head against a brick wall all the time, I don't know that I could continue to do it, but I'm surrounded and, and have so many collaborations with people who are very like-minded. Yeah. Sounds so like, that gives you like the good. energy.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, we need to take a break, Rhonda, but uh, we'll explore more of that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment.
1: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day, because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6 br brought to you by Barra and O'Day, because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Professor Rhonda Marriott is our special guest. Uh... Rhonda, in terms of your uh, your standout moments in your career, becoming the first uh, Indigenous head of a of a university school of nursing mm. uh, here at Murdoch, that is, mm. uh, but the first uh, Indigenous head of a of a nursing school, mm. how it does was, that rank?
3: That was pretty special. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, and I actually didn't even think about it because I'd been invited to to establish this school, and um, you know that was a challenge in itself, and then the Jim Reynoldson who was our faculty dean said but hang on a minute aren't you the first indigenous head and i thought oh
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll take that <laughs> yeah yeah
3: so that that was pretty special and yeah. and i think you know what it what it has done and you don't you don't actually realize this but so many other aboriginal nurses have said to me that inspired me mm. you know that that made me think if you if if you can do it, I can do it.
2: Mm. So it's the that ultimate makes it compliment, even more really, special. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and th- the school has grown from oh, when right. you came along in, in 2003. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Um, 17 odd years later.
3: And it's, I'm so proud of it. I'm yeah. just so proud to see what's happened and to see the number of Aboriginal um, students that we have across the program as well. And, you know, to see their. Um, their excitement about getting out there and, and doing their bit.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, That's how many wonderful. how many students when you're opening up a new school? Um, <laughs> how many students did you take had, on back then?
3: We had um, just thirty. Right. I think it was thirty two to begin with, and um, a couple left in the early early weeks. Yeah. Um, so we ended up with about thirty students. Mm.
2: Yeah. I just think, but they're, they're such incredible people. Um, our mm. nurses mm. Um, it must be mm. a joy almost to be in their company because it does it does take a special sort of human doesn't it to want to do nursing as a career
3: yeah nursing is a very challenging career in exactly. many ways mm. um, you know it's it's challenging personally but it's also challenging intellectually because yep. you know you really need to there's a lot to understand mm. and a lo- lot to learn about and And I don't think people necessarily understand just how much nurses have to learn, Mm. um, which is all very important because we want to and need to provide the very best care. So you have to have the very best knowledge in order to do that. But, you know, I I remember um, a nurse who did some research around what she called soft hands and hard hands um, nurses. And you need to be have the soft hands and that's the empathy. Mm. the ability to be able to connect with somebody else, to be able to understand that what they're going through is probably the first time for them and the first time for their family and it's hundred percent them. Mm. doesn't matter if you've seen it you know many many times before. so it's about presencing mm. and being there for that person and their family and yep. that's the soft hands nurse. The hard hands nurse is very clinically competent, but can't make that connection.
2: Yeah, a textbook nurse. Mm, and it yep. makes
3: all the difference to the patient. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Do you miss being on the wards?
3: <laughs> I do, actually. Um, I don't know that physically I could do it anymore because, yeah. you know, it takes a lot of, a lot of energy and uh, a lot of stamina to be able to do that. So yeah. I don't think I could do that anymore. Um, but I miss that connection. Mm. Um, but I probably have that now through the research that I'm doing, which is really important.
2: Yeah. Tell us about the research that you're <clears throat> most proud of. Over oh, yeah.
3: um, there is There is just so much. The the research that, that we're doing is making – will make a difference yeah. for young Aboriginal parents and young families. Um, and I guess the work that we've just finished, I'm really excited about because – um, out of that, you know, we've seen all of our recommendations starting to come to fruition. So our Birthing on Noongar Budja project, which, um, through which we interviewed and spoke with 70-odd young mums and we spoke with 70-odd midwives about what their cultural needs um, are and what their expectations um, are. And we spoke to a number of elders as well. But out of the recommendations, we identified that we need to have more culturally secure maternity services. And we're actually starting to work towards that um, with the health services, which is wonderful. Um, But we also identified that we needed a principal Aboriginal nurse and midwife to be appointed. And we've seen that happen. Great. So in January this year, Deborah Jacobs was appointed to the Nursing and Midwifery Office, and that's come out of our research. So that's exciting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, it seems like such a, not a simple thing, but an obvious thing, I suppose, mm. to mm. do to overcome that potential for disconnection.
3: Yes, yes. Yeah,
2: between patient and, and carer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, for, you know, for someone going into hospital, into a foreign Environment. Um, can, I mean, can you give us some insight? What, what does that mean for uh, an Aboriginal person going into a, a hospital yeah. to know that uh, that they have someone who might understand their culture better?
3: Yeah, many of our, many of the, the young Aboriginal women that we interviewed, um, and older Aboriginal women that we interviewed as well, said that it was so important to be able to go into a hospital and to not be talked down to. Or to not feel that they were um, that someone had low expectations of mm-hmm. them um, about to give birth, about to become a mum, um, excited about starting a family, and then also almost to be dismissed by the staff who who were provi- providing care for them, mm. um, but not to be um, respected, yeah, for who they were,
2: yeah,
3: and so they've they really want to see more Aboriginal midwives. Yeah. And, you know, we need to work towards that to ensure that we do have more Aboriginal midwives. But, you know, we're still a small percentage of the Mm. population and we will never have that population parity. So we need to make sure that the midwives who are working in these areas are respectful and can acknowledge what they do know and what they don't know but actually, speak to the woman and say, "What is it you need? How can we help you? Mm. What do we need to do to make this the best experience for you?"
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
3: that doesn't happen enough.
2: No. Do you go uh, on a bit of a recruitment drive when you <laughs> when you go out and speak to people? Do you identify oh, aspects yes. of a person's yeah. character and say, "You would make an what? awesome, an awesome midwife. midwife." Come with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you're allowed to do, to do, do it, but I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I have been known to do that. <laughs> I bet you have. Yeah. I suppose you know you're in a position where you can uh, push people through the ranks, aren't you?
3: Well, it's exciting to be able to encourage and mentor people, but also to link, mm. um, you know, aspiring nurses and midwives up with others who can who can aspire, inspire them.
2: Mm. Mm. So your role at the moment. Um, are you principally looking at research or is it hands-on as well? Um, how do you just sort of divide your time and your energy?
3: Um, well, I, my husband, if he was here, would tell, tell you that I, I don't work at 37 and a half hour week.
2: Probably work at 37 <laughs> and a half hour day. <laughs>
3: um, primarily my role is is a research role. Yeah. And so I, I head up the Centre for um, Aboriginal Health and Social Equity, which is called Nyankira and was named so by adi Marie Taylor, who is one of our Noongar Elders here. Um, and that research centre has a number of research projects. Birthing on Noongar Budha is one of those. Baby Coming you Ready is another one, another one that I'm incredibly proud of. I could keep you here all day, Tim.
2: <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> Uh, we, we're looking at a youth resilience and wellbeing project. Yeah. Um, but we also have a linking up for better outcomes project, which is a, a data linkage project. The exciting thing about that research is that we have so many research collaborators Mm. and we work so closely with the health services, um, that we have a big spread of people that we work with. Yeah. Um, but that's what I suppose gets me up in the morning and keeps me going. Mm. But I also have another role at the university, um, a leadership role um, as a Pro-Vice-Chancellor for Aboriginal um, and Torres Strait Islander leadership. Mm. And that's a really, I mean, it's an amazing job. Mm. Um, I don't do much to a certain extent. Um, but I don't provide... say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I do. In the but, but I provide that leadership point yeah. um, and, and I suppose the advocacy yeah. point. For many people in the university who are working actively to ensure that, you know, we have um, a great experience for Aboriginal students, a great experience for our researchers, um, and that we're really well engaged with the community.
2: Yeah. I'll get you to expand on that right after we take another break. Uh, Rhonda, Professor Rhonda Marriott is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. We'll be back right after
1: this. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6 br brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. Professor Rhonda Marriott AM is our special guest. Rhonda, can I ask you about that when you first got that, uh, that recognition? As an AM, how did that come about? And you're a very humble person, uh, Rhonda. How did that? Um, how did you take on that extra title?
3: Well, you, it's a nomination process, mm. um, which I didn't find out that was happening until literally weeks before the announcement. Just a couple of weeks before the announcement, um, so it came as a big shock. Yep. And and I thought this. You that can't I, be right. Is this real? <laughs>
2: you're talking about me. <laughs> so do you know who nominated you?
3: I do now, but I didn't at the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah,
2: <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> you're still getting used to it. I
3: am.
0: I am. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: But it's it's you know it's it's quite a, an accolade, and it sort of follows you around. Now it's part of your name. It's part of your title.
3: It is, and I'm getting used to it. But you did see me wince when you said, <laughs> "I know." I <laughs> That's
2: why I'm still making you squirm on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Tell me more about this uh, Baby Coming You Ready uh, project that you, you mentioned earlier. Mm. Yeah, just can you just tell us a little bit more about how that works?
3: Yeah, so, Jim, this came about because a number of us came together with a passion about perinatal mental health. Uh-huh. And in particular, um, the fact that you know, we didn't know how many Aboriginal women actually experienced mental health issues, depression in particular, um, either you know, when they were pregnant or just after baby was born. But I met with a woman um, who is a, an amazing woman. She's a midwife and a child health nurse and a nurse practitioner. And her name's Jane, Jane Coates. And Jane um, shared my my um, interest mm-hmm. and passion about what can we do differently. And as a midwife, you know, she had recently come to Perth from working in the Kimberley, and was concerned that the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Screen, which is the standard process by which, you know, doctors and midwives um, see if you need any assistance, Mm. if you might be experiencing some depression, she felt that it wasn't really culturally appropriate. Yeah. And, you know, as as a midwife and an Aboriginal woman, I agreed with her. Yeah. And so together we started to work on um, looking at this, and she brought together a wonderful group of Aboriginal elders and Aboriginal community members who agreed mm-hmm. and agreed that this needed to be something that got changed. Mm-hmm. So as a result of a couple of years of very intensive work, they've developed this wonderful um, app on an iPad, which has got lovely illustrations um, and drawings in it. Um to create an engagement process between the midwife and the Aboriginal mum that empowers the Aboriginal mum and allows her to tell her story about what she needs some help with, mm. but what are importantly what are the things that already keep her strong, mm. and what help she needs perhaps to help strengthen those.
2: Yeah, um, just in terms of uh, you know recent events, we've spoken a little bit about the. the the pandemic, but one of the other extraordinary sort of global movements has been uh, attention on, you know, cultural disadvantage. It obviously came Mm -hmm. out of the the Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter movement. It morphed into something slightly different here, but a focus on uh, the types of disadvantage that Aboriginal people uh, have to endure here in Australia. Um, Has there been something positive that you've witnessed come out of all of this, you know, in terms of Aboriginal health outcomes? At, At the very least, just attention on it?
3: Look, I think the the really um, important thing has that's come out, you know, particularly as I said around COVID nineteen, is that there are very very small numbers of Aboriginal people who have who have got this COVID nineteen, mm. which is something that we should all be very proud of around the work that Aboriginal community controlled health services have been able to do. It's all about empowerment, Tim, and it's about self determination, and and it's about balancing that with um, this culture of low expectations that seems to be so pervasive in our society. So you're an Aboriginal person. Do you really know this and really understand this? It's against pushing against that that sort of insidious racism. Mm. Um, and I've I've actually seen an elevation in Aboriginal people yep. and excitement. Um, you know, Ken Wyatt talked about this even very recently when we were talking about Close the Gap um, and you know, Aboriginal people looking at coming together with peak bodies yep. to look at different, um, identifying different approaches. Mm. Um, so out of that, I think I've seen a, a dawning awareness mm. that the status quo is no longer the status quo. Yeah which is wonderful.
2: Yeah. It's change. Yeah. It's
3: all about change.
2: Even just an incremental change. Yes. yes. Yeah. You can't do everything, Rhonda, and you can't work forever. What are you still (laughs) hoping to achieve uh, in a professional capacity at least?
3: Um, Well, to continue um, challenging and and bringing about change through the work that we do, but continuing to... inspire mm. other young people yeah you know i'm not, I'm not young now <laughs> but to to bring young people in because you know succession planning is really important yeah. and and if we don't have that it doesn't continue
2: yeah well if your mum's any example you've you, you'll be working for a long while yet Rhonda. if she's yeah. still earning a degree in her 80s mm. yeah she must be tremendously proud of what you've achieved though
3: I think
2: so, yes. <laughs> Not that she shows you very often. <laughs> no, she says it. Yeah, but, <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's good. She feels it. She does, yeah. yes. Rhonda, thank you so much for coming in and, and sharing some of your insights. We really appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Jim. Thanks for inviting me. And
2: uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA Inspiring Story.
1: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for
0: a limited time only.